Hello everyone, Ashley here with a very important announcement. Beginning on August 29th, 2023, the Stitcher app and website will end its operations. What does that mean for you? Well, unfortunately, it means that you will no longer be able to access your shows, your downloads, preferences, or listening history. It's gone. Kaput. Finito. That means you can't even listen to us. And we can't even put anything on the Stitcher app. However, you will be able to listen, continue listening to Ham Radio, Stranger Things podcast, as well as your other favorite podcasts on every major listening platform, such as Google, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, uh... Yeah, all the all the majors. Spotify. Yeah, I can't believe I forgot about that. Spotify. Uh, basically, any app on the internet, you will be able to access to listen to Ham Radio or your other favorite podcast. But you can't do it on Stitcher uh, after August 29th. So again, August 29th, the Stitcher app is going away, and so will its website. Um, Thank you uh, so much, and I'm sorry I had to bring you that very depressing news. I'm Ashley. And I'm Jasmine. And you're tuned in to Ham Radio Stranger Things Podcast. It's a ham radio. The Cadillac of ham radio. Welcome, everyone, back to yet another episode of the Ham Radio Podcast. Today, Jasmine and I, along with a very special guest, uh, Robin Farrell, will be presenting our favorite Stranger Things scenes and or moments from getting from season one all the way up to the recent season four. And we'll even be sharing some of our least favorite scenes because, let's be real, not every TV series is perfect, and that includes Stranger Things. But first, we have a little housekeeping to take care of, and I'm going to uh, turn it over to Jasmine to let you guys know where you can find us on uh, the socials and where you can listen to the podcast. Jasmine? Yeah, so absolutely. So as always, you can find us on Instagram at ham.radio.media, on Twitter at hamthrough, on YouTube at Ham Radio Media or Ham Radio 1983, that's our handle. Uh, we also have a Discord, the link will be in the episode description. You can also email us at hamradiomedia at gmail.com. Ashley has a fanfic on AO3, which will also be linked in the episode description. And the podcast is available on all major podcasting platforms, Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, etc. Please consider leaving us a review and a rating. We have a lot of totally tubular stuff coming up. So please follow us on our socials to keep up with the podcast, all of our new content. Yes, that is correct. Thank you, Jasmine. Ashley, what were some of your favorites from this season? Yeah, so uh, they're uh, not of yours. <laughs> like completely oh, wow. different from uh anything that either of you had um but yeah mine are uh 11 when she closes the gate uh super super awesome scene you know it's kind of funny i think about in season four when uh dr burner's like you know you need to learn how to fly and it's like well you know technically she already has in season two because you know she literally lifted herself up but of course he doesn't know that and then the the snowball scene like the entire scene including uh at the end when um 
you know, the camera turns upside down. We see the, the mind flare in the upside down o- looking over at the school with uh, every breath you take uh, about the police playing in the background. Love that. Um, I love uh, when Max <laughs> scares the boys on Halloween um, and Lucas's girl scream. That was absolutely hilarious. Uh, and she's oh. like, and she's oh. like, and you, who screams like that? <laughs> I, I love that. Um, then I like the, the scene in the junkyard when all the demo dogs are out. Um, I like it when, you know, Steve, you know, realizes, you know, what's going on. It's like something's calling them. I thought it was a good moment, you know, for Steve to be the one to realize that. But I also just love the creepiness of it, of like, like the connections and everything, um, you know, with the high find and stuff there. And then, uh, Finally, I like it, you know, when, when Nancy was, was drunk at the Halloween party and she's just like, everything is bullshit, you know, just like oh. <laughs> she says it. And uh, I listened to a, a podcast that's it's called the um, Star Court Study Hall podcast. Uh, they're, they're like hilarious on that show. And and when they did their season two recap, they every time they would do like Nancy, one of them would go like, you know, mocking her like that you know, bullshit you know it's just it was just hilarious because like nancy terrible drunk um but i just uh I, I love that not that you know that was like nancy's greatest moment in my opinion in season two but it's it's definitely a, a funny moment for me so that's like oh it's um, that's funny because i that scene is heartbreaking to me i that like that i i love her performance because it's so hard to play drunk well um so I've always been very much in awe of like how of, of both of their performances in that scene. In addition to the fact that that's, that bathroom is tiny. So the, how they were able to film in that space. So tiny. Yeah. So I'm really impressed with the camera work in that sequence as well. But like, it's just, it's really, now prior to season four, I was, I liked how that ended up being, I guess I still feel this way, but like that being kind of the the, the moment that they split. I I that's really where to me they they fully split because and I I just I like that it happens actually but I find that that and and I I say heartbreaking in like a like I I mean that like that's what they're trying to do to me that's their intention and then they succeed with it like just because I mean to me Kiri plays that like he looks like he's gonna cry I I just I love yeah. I love that yeah. scene that oh. scene's great it's so hard to watch but it's so great. And this is something I've pointed out before, but I didn't notice it until somebody gifted this and made the comment. But when after Steve leaves, Nancy's, you know, moving the towel, she actually makes the middle finger with her hand as she's moving it. And it's reflected back in the mirror. So there's such attention to detail with that scene. And you're right, like, it's it's hard to play drunk well. And it's so, it's heartbreaking. But I also love that you got the two different perspectives, like, they pick up on totally different things that scene. Like Nancy's point is like, you want us to forget everything and, and be drunk teenagers and have fun, but we killed Barb. I can't let go of the guilt. I can't communicate about this. I'm drowning. And what Steve picks up on is, you don't love me like we're in love. There are two completely different mm-hmm. perspectives of what's happening. And it's such a raw scene and it's such a like, oh. Well, just, it's so indicative of that they are just it's i i like the progression of that episode in particular too because of how where it starts in episode one with them in the car 
and how like the stuff about the essay like it's just the beginning of this season really shows how at this at least at this stage in their lives how just they're really not compatible and that like that's not either one and there's a lack of communication happening on both sides and how it's not they're just not well suited at that point and how they it and that's not really to either of their faults and i like the subtlety of how it's written and that like i even though it's about them like falling apart as a couple i i i, I really appreciate how it's it's all constructed and and how the descent of their relationship and eventually their breakup like i really appreciate that like how how they it just felt like there was a lot of thought put into that and maybe it wasn't but i i like the result a lot so yeah i <laughs> good choice ashley thank you thank you no, yeah, I, I definitely agree. Like, uh, on one hand, you know, I felt kind of bad for Steve in the moment because, you know, he did look like he was about to cry. But the other hand, you know, they're just, they were just on very different, you know, worlds at that point in time because obviously Steve really didn't seem to care about what happened to Barb. He seemed to have moved on from that. But Nancy, you know, still can't let it go because I mean, he, and rightfully so. Like Barb was her friend, not Steve's, and in a way, it's really more. You know, in terms of if we're gonna put blame, I mean, I don't really think it was actually either Steve or Nancy's fault, really, that Barb died because no, it, they didn't know she was gonna stay and wait for Nancy. Um, and that was, you know, Barb's choice because she, you know, cared about Nancy and was her friend and all. And I think if, if seriously, if Barb hadn't cut her hand, she probably would still be with us to this day. But, you know, the Demogorgon smelled the blood, you know, like a shark, he came and, you know, attacked. Um, but yeah, I think it, in that moment, you just really realize that these, you know, people that are on, you know, very two different wavelengths at that point i can see why they um they broke up yeah 100 percent. so um who wants to start off with the season three scenes i can keep i can keep starting us off if you want yeah sure no no problem yeah. go ahead um so i will i will say that season three and i have a very contentious relationship however um i mean the the number one scene on my list for season three is actually my favorite scene in the entire series and that is steve and robin their bathroom scene uh, when Me she comes too. out that's um, that's my top scene for this season that scene changed my life actually i'm not going to get into the full story here because it's very long and involved but you know if any listeners are like what uh we get into it in depth in over on coffee and contemplation but the short version is that this scene hit me in a way that I did not expect it to and it made me self-aware um ironically not because of Robin but because of Steve um it was the moment that I it was through this scene that I realized that oh like my journey with the character kind of came to to fruition which I realized that oh I see a lot of myself in Steve and I had not been aware of that so that was a hard scene for me to watch the first time through and it but and yet it, it but it's always been very impactful both like in context like in context it's some of the best writing in the entire series and I maintain that 
it's to me that's the that is the show at its finest in that it's trusting its actors and it's leaning into its characterization and it's trusting that it we don't because that is that's one of the longest like it it reminds me actually a little bit since we're talking about all the seasons it actually I feel like has a little bit in common with that scene between Joyce and Hopper in season two it's it's so character driven and even Joe Keery said, like, in the interview that he did with GQ a while back, that, like, he was like, we don't normally get this long to just talk to one another. So the fact that they let that scene breathe and have that space, it's it's so beautifully handled. And I just, I adore those two characters. I adore that dynamic. I, I just, I love that friendship so, so much. Don't get me wrong. I was very much hoping they were going to be a couple. Because, me too. I was. I mean, me too. I still thought that's where they were going. I mean, my favorite character was Steve up until this. I mean, up until this point, I knew that, but like, it would have been really cool to have one of my favorite characters dating somebody with my name. But you know, I I cannot be more. I'm not. I I could not be happier with with the relationship that these two characters have. It's it's perfect for for what Steve's character development needs in terms of like what you know something I did say in that episode when over on copy and contemplation was that this is a really good example of want versus need in storytelling where you have to give your you know your characters have wants but ultimately they have the needs that that, you know their actual needs end up being very very can end up being very different from what they want and this is a great example it's like you know it's perfect what he wants is a girlfriend what he needs is a friend and someone his own age, someone who's at the same stage in life that he is, or at least closer to it. And it's just, it's, it's fantastic. It's my favorite scene in the entire series, including season four. Like it's, it's beautiful. Like I said, life-changing. So I love it. Um, my, so that, that's like number one, like with a bullet, but um, the other, I, I don't have as many for season three because it's my my least favorite season but yeah I'm um, with you it's my least favorite season too I yeah <laughs> I it's which is weird considering it has my favorite scene in the entire series it's one of those though like there's moments that I absolutely adore and dynamics absolutely adore the other stuff where I'm like I could not get into this or I'm yeah. like what were they doing um but, so yeah yeah um so but my second my second pick was l l versus billy flair in the sauna test that sequence is fan freaking tastic i love it i also i just i adore the scene between dustin and erica in the in the air vents with the you are a nerd i i just i love it i love that so much that was it was in that scene that i realized whoever you pair Gaten Matarazzo with it's gonna work like and it continues to be true in season four like anyone you pair him with it works like and I I remember like that and that is one point in season three's favor I think we get more time we get more screen time with Erica in season three than we do in season four so hoping we get more of her in season five but yeah I just love that and I love the whole thing of like that Dustin knows my little pony it's it's great it's so good and I say that like unironically like I love I love that they did that um and then my last choice was the the shopping montage um between Ellen Max the material girl sequence because I think that has a lot of I think it's easy to read that scene as being very superficial but I actually think there's a lot of really really important character stuff happening in that in that prior to the the I dump your ass bit all, all just Max and L together the 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 quote unquote makeover section of it I just 
I really, really like that. It's, I, I think that's really important, really valuable. Yeah, me too. I think we overlap quite a bit on this season. Um, my top one is also Robin's coming up scene in the bathroom. Um, I could, you know, everything you said, I, I can see why it would be life-changing because it was just, it was so well done and it was unexpected. I think I appreciate it more on rewatch because my first time I saw that scene, you know, watching it for the first time, you know, I was like, oh, look, I really, I could, the original plan was that Robin was supposed to be Steve's new love interest. So they were going that direction. You really thought it was going there. I really wanted that for both those characters. And then realizing, oh, that's not the case. It was a bit jarring, but and I, I kind of walked away from it the first time being like, oh man, now I feel bad for both characters because what they really want is to find love and they can't, and that really sucks. But then upon rewatch, I've, I've really come to appreciate how wonderful that scene is, especially since when you get to season four, it then builds into them both supporting each other as they pursue relationships with other people and having this really wonderful friendship. So I love, even though we didn't get that, it, it, it's evolved into this really beautiful thing that in some ways I think is more meaningful than it, it would have been if they'd gone the romantic route. So I, I just adore that scene. I also it's love so I I also just really love that and this probably I should wait until we get into season four stuff, but I love the fact that Joe Curie and Maya Hawk seem to be like actually buds in real life. Like that just yeah that makes me so happy. <laughs> yeah, and I, I love that you get that sense of like that the actors are genuinely close in real life. I feel like that really comes through in seasons three and four particular. Uh, in particular. That in season, you, yeah, you really get the sense that they are genuinely close. And then I, very different scene, but the scene on the couch in season four when they're being interrogated as to why they were down at the lake with uh, Max, Lucas, and Dustin, the fact that they were all Broadway babies and knew each other prior to being cast. Yeah. So they've been friends since they, for years. That really comes through. The way people interact when you've known somebody that long really comes through and you're really genuinely close to them even in the way they're trying to signal erica like that came across very much like very old friends or siblings being like seriously shut up. like i i love that and i love the moments where that really comes across strongly and you're right it like when steve makes the decision to you know be be the best version of himself and make her laugh and let her know it's okay that scene where they're like peeing their pants laughing about how Tammy Thompson sounds like a Muppet. <laughs> yeah. But that I also appreciate that it's not immediate. They have him take a minute. They allow him to sit with it. Like, that feels so believable to me. That it's not, like, like if, it, if it had been instantaneous, I don't think it would have worked as well. But the fact that they have him sit with it for a moment. And it's like they allow him to take the moment to be disappointed, for one thing. But also like, okay, this is, what are you going to do with it? And then he makes the choice. I just, the the subtlety of that is really effective. Yeah, I agree. And you, you can see, at least for me, you can see the cogs turning in Steve's head. You can see him considering those options, how he wants to handle this, take in this new information, how he could approach it. You know, he has a few different options there. And they're alone in a bathroom after being drunk by Russians. Like, no one else is going to know about how he reacts. And I love that they gave him that space to think through his options and go, I'm, and make the actor choice to be like, this is disappointing, but I really, everything I said is still true. I really love spending time with this person. So, okay, I'm not getting a girlfriend out of this, but I am 
I, I can make the choice to be cool and make her laugh and let her know it's okay and that I'm still here for her and I can I can get a real friend out of this, which he desperately needs. And I love that they showed you're right in such a subtle way him making that active choice which is such a far cry from who he was in season one or even season two just he was so reactionary mm-hmm. in his decision making I mean also he's a teenage boy I mean come on yeah. but I love that his his evolution there is for him I love that he gets more moments where he gets, you see him actively thinking about his choices mm-hmm. and that that's how he chooses to approach it yeah um is so wonderful and the button on the end of it too dustin and erica okay what the hell (laughs) (laughs) that's so funny they're having this like meaningful moment and they burst in they're like seriously what the hell they've been looking out for that i mean i wouldn't be surprised if that if if the if them cracking up was candid like after he says that like if maybe there was supposed to be something else scripted there but kirian hawk just kept laughing because it's great Yeah, and I've read interviews where this is part of season four, but like where the actors always want to swear. <laughs> and yeah. there have been comments where Joe Kier's like, hey, can I swear here? And they're like, no, no, we're saving that for like Dustin or the kids because it's funnier if they do. And they only have so many because of the previous rating. I think it was like PG or whatever it was, mm-hmm. um, or whatever it was rated. And how like the rating went up for season four and everyone freaked out. And I'm like, I don't think, and I was right. People were like, oh, no, it went up to mature or whatever. Like, oh, my God, it's going to be all this stuff. It's going to be so much darker, blah, blah. It wasn't. It just meant they could swear. Right. <laughs> like, and that to me was very obvious. I'm like, they're not te- they're not kids anymore, literally. So they're upping the rating. And that's all it meant. But I, I agree. Like, there's many moments in season three where I'm like, yeah, there might have been something else there, but they just couldn't stop laughing. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's, um, you know, his line delivery is so fantastic. Oh, so, man. VIP. VIP, man. Oh, man. So great. Um, so that's my top scene. And then second to that, I have also something that you had, which is Max and Elle at the mall. Mm-hmm. And like you said, I think you can read that as very superficial, but I, I agree. I think it's more meaningful than that. I love the song choice. I love how that's it's, it's played out. I love that Max with like very little understanding of what Elle has been through or the situation because she doesn't know her that well is immediately very supportive like Ella's freaked out about so many people colors choices you know it's very overwhelming for her and Max is very um supportive and it's like it's going to be okay you have powers let's just go see you know like kind of pulls her out of her shell but it's also like is validating that this is um an overwhelming experience for her Mm -hmm. I love that I love the scene where I was like how do I how do I know what I like you know, she's like, mm-hmm. not, not Hopper, not like you. And she goes, well, you just try things on until you do something that feels like you. And she goes, feels like me? She goes, feels like you. And I love that she supports her on that. And she realizes that Elle's never had this before. And she makes it her mission to help her. And I, I also love, I've seen other people comment on this, but the fact that Max, she's very much a tomboy, but Elle is not. And that a lot of times in media, you have this whole, like, I'm better than you because you're a girly girl and I'm a tomboy. And I love that they don't do that with these characters, that Max has got her style and her thing going on, but she's 100% supportive of Elle finding her own style, which is very different from Max's. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't have to be a competition. I think a lot of times in media, it's getting better. But, I mean, there was, there was a time in 2000s where there was whole movies and the entire plot was women in a stupid competition pitted against each other that made no sense 
Yep. And I love that we're moving away from that. And I love that you really see that here that, you know, Max just wants to like have a good time with her newfound bestie and go to the mall and have some fun. And I love the scene where the like the the cool girls are like doing that whole like dis- looking at them with disdain and they burst out laughing <laughs> when they're when they're trying on the high heels. Mm-hmm. And it reminds me of a quote that um there's from a YouTuber watch they talk about, you know, it's very weird to me that to be cool, you have to pretend you don't like things or that be mean to people or look down on people for liking stuff too much. And what a bizarre concept that is in our society that like people are mean to, it's not the same thing they used to be, but for a long time, the whole thing about being mean to nerds, that nerds were losers is like, you like things too much. It's cool to not care, which is so stupid. Like whatever you believe, this one particular life that we have will only pass once. You're going to spend your time pretending you don't like stuff you really like or being mean to people who are really enthusiastic about things. Like, how dumb is that? But this was definitely a time period where, like, that was very much the case. And so I love that they just kind of laugh it off. And they're like, we're having a good time. Who cares what these random girls think? I just, yeah, I I just love that. And Mm -hmm. the, the scene also with the sunglasses, with Max with the sunglasses, like, so cool. And that also leading, as much as I love... Michael Levin's relationship, Max very much empowers Elle to make her own choices outside of the men in her life, which she's never had before. And I don't think Micah and Popper are intentionally trying to box her in. I just don't think they realize they're doing it. And I love that Max is so supportive of make your own choices. You deserve better. And that ultimately that's why she dumps Mike is that she's like, you lied to me. You know, like, and I, I love that you know, we see that, that this is someone who's very much supporting her to be like, and we see that throughout season um, season three, that, you know, Max is very supportive of Elle making her own choices and that she's her own person. She's not a pet. She's not, you know, something for you to control. She's a human being. And whether she understands or not, she has the right, the bodily autonomy and the right to make her own choices. And I love that Max is really the first person in Elle's life to just be like, no. Like, what do you want to do? What do you like? Figure out what you want. So I just, I love that. And I think that separation is really felt in season four. It's so heartbreaking, you know, um, at the end there. So I'm, uh, I hope we're going to see a return to that towards the end of season five. Uh, And then for this, this season, I think my favorite plot, it's kind of weird. So my favorite plot slash dynamic is Robin and Steve at Scoops Ahoy, like their banter that we see and their their kind of relationship when they're trying to crack the code. And we kind of establish how things have been going during the summer while Steve, uh, Dustin's been off at summer camp. And then that plus the Scoops Troop banter and dynamic, even though I didn't mm-hmm. like the Russia plot in terms of like the Russians in that plot mm-hmm. and that whole setup, um, I just thought it was absurd. But I love the kind of banter and the scoop troop dynamic that comes out of it and what we see with Robin and how, you know, Steve is so proud of her and she's, you know, how, and he validates, right? I think, I think what I keep coming back to is good characters and good friends in real life are people that validate when you do something great or when you're proud or happy of something or they, they, they build you up, right? Good friends build you up. They're like, they're proud of you. They're there for you. They, they also defend you to other people. Like, and we see Steve and Max do that really strongly this season. So I love seeing their dynamic in season four and him mm-hmm. being that older brother figure that she's always wanted and couldn't get ever with Billy. 
because I was going to say, what about this season? But those things are are very, very strong uh, for me. So Ashley, do you want to get into your favorite moments? I, I know that you have a soft spot and a particular love for this season. So I'd love to hear your top moments. Yeah, so it's no secret that season three uh, is my favorite season of the show. Um, it probably always will be. I think it's because of, you know, that was like first time like I've ever seen I ever watched new episodes of the show and you know it was a time in my life you know there's just always things that I feel you know that takes me back to you know the good old days whenever I watch season three so it was definitely hard for me to not put like a like a hundred scenes from season three uh in mind but yeah I'm with Robin I like 11 versus a flayed billy in the sauna um that's probably my favorite scene of the whole entire series like it's just the way it, it's shot and everything and the, the performances from millie bobby brown and, and dacre montgomery um just just so awesome i love it every time uh, i watch it i also like uh when a flayed billy sees 11 when she's you know goes into his memories and and he's like you shouldn't have looked for me because now we see you. Now we all see you. Yeah. Like season three for me is, you know, when when I watched it, you know, I was I kind of had started putting the pieces together that maybe there was a, a human being maybe behind a lot of this stuff going on. And this moment here really uh, cemented that for me mm. um, as it's not just um a shadowy figure anymore that's that's taking a precedence here but yeah i definitely i definitely love it um because it's it's creepy and you're like oh my gosh you don't know what's going to happen to her in that moment um or exactly yes and him you know putting the cigarette out and stuff it's just it's just so well done and and uh, I-, I love it so much. Um, and then I, I had you know, at the beginning of season three and episode one um, when they all surprise Dustin when he gets home and <laughs> he uh, turns around and sprays Lucas in the eyes with the can of hairspray. It's it's hilarious. And then I like the hospital sequence with Nancy and Jonathan uh, going up against Bruce and Tom. Like Jonathan, that's probably the best scene that Jonathan has in this series uh if i'm being honest because he takes the that chair to the back like a champ okay steve's never done that that's all i'm gonna say on that so um well that's fair he gets pounded into a pulp by like yeah but jonathan's spinal cord should be severed and or at least season you know, three plays very season three plays very fast and loose with bodily injury i'll just i'll just yeah and it makes yeah. me cringe like seeing it happen and it, it i feel the pain and yet i still i still watch it anyway because it's so good and then like when nancy hits um bruce in the head and he goes owie like it's just you know it's good stuff and i'm usually not one for horror like that uh, or anything like that but um i just i loved the way they uh it was directed and the way it was edited and all that um it's just you know a good action-packed uh scene and then i like all the max and 11 scenes 
Um, it's really good friendship, and especially now that we didn't see them really happen for most of season four. And when we finally did, it wasn't, you know, a happy occasion. And then, and lastly, I have Hopper's letter at the end, which I sometimes oh, skip. Yeah. Like, yeah. like sometimes I can't even watch it because it's so moving and, and sad. And it's, it's a really weird scene in that it feels like a series finale. Um, and you can make the argument that the series could have ended with that. And that's one of the reasons that I don't really like uh, how they faked his death and how everything happened with the Russia plot in season four, because you send him off with such a beautiful moment in season three. And it, and now it's, it's for nothing seemingly. And yeah. um, it, to me, it's like, I, I know Robin has said this um, on coffin contemplation with the, um, when it's called, I like to die uh, moment in, in season one, it's like it feels like that. It feels kind of you know like it's cheapened this beautiful moment from Hopper and and the way they did it and and I just I can't look at it ever the same way again. And I I kind of wish not that I, I want Hopper to actually be dead, but I kind of wish that they might as well have just kept him dead because it it just makes that moment so much more beautiful. Um, and really adds so much more to his character and it really brings out like a lot of character growth within him of, to learn you know why <clears throat> you know he's been the way he's been but now that 11's in his life he's living again so I, I, that's why I, I really um, enjoy that tearjerker and uh, yeah so that I'm gonna you know stop for all my scenes uh, for season three there because I don't want to keep you guys here all night but yeah those are those are my favorite um scenes from season three I will say the ending of season three is so incredibly sad like I've said this before but I read something in the wiki it's now been updated but it was something I didn't remember so I went back to watch the end of season three and it turns out that, that whoever's writing the wiki was was mistaken because I'm like I don't remember that it wasn't there but I went back and watched basically the end scene where you Joyce pulls like hits the key, hits the key, and from there to the end of season three, and I'd forgotten how incredibly sad that is. Like the scene where Elle comes out, they realize Hopper isn't there. Mike hugging his mom, the letter, the buyers packing up, the whole thing is like it. Oh, it hits you right in the gut. I think because I'd watched since one to back, we've been them, my friend and I. I, and then, and then you know, you go back and watch something. I'm like, oh my god, it hits so, so incredibly hard. And then everyone's like leaving, biking home, and Mike goes and hugs his mom. It's like the whole thing just, oh, it just hits you. It hits you so hard. <laughs> yeah, totally. It's the whole thing is it, it's just really sad. And you know, we got the music in the background, and Eleven's crying, and and just you know hearing. Hopper talk, especially when he talks about, you know, I miss, uh, you know, coming home and us, you know, eating egos together and watching, uh, Miami Vice together and playing board games and stuff. And, and, and too, it also, for me, it always makes me think of, you know, my own life of, you know, fun times with my friends and, and family from years past and how, you know, 
you're never going to get those moments back. But at the same time, like I miss doing that stuff. And now, you know, I don't. And I wish that I could still be doing that stuff. But you can't because you life is always changing. You can't stay in one one place in your life forever, you know? I I can't watch that scene. Um, it's not because I it's it's one that I, I probably won't watch again for a very long time. It's not because it's badly done. It's actually very well done. Um, at the time that I watched it when season three first aired, um, I was a little bit irritated because I feel like one of the reasons that I don't like season three much is because I feel like their characterization of Hopper through the majority of it is wildly off. Um, but then at the end, there are like these few moments through the season where you get you get what feels like the hopper we've known and then at the end that's one of them um but now um i mean my my father passed away in 2020 so and i wasn't there i wasn't able to be there because that was it was right at the start of lockdown so for me that scene just hits a little too close to home so i can't comment on it really any very recently because it's i haven't watched it pretty much since we covered it for season three but i will i will or on, on on our podcast but yeah i probably won't go back to it oh, that's so awful i'm so sorry that would be yeah, so i hard. mean again though not because it's not well done it's because it's too well done it's like it's too well done that's yeah. like it hits you so yeah so, 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 yeah. so hard yeah. that's why i struggle to watch it and like i said i sometimes i skip it because i just i i can't uh like if i if i really need a, a good cry it's it's good for that but mm-hmm. you know most of the time I, I just I can't watch it because it still makes me cry I just I I feel like you know that's it's gonna that's how it's gonna be at the end of season five because to know it's over yeah. but also you know it's gonna be very emotional mm-hmm. yeah and, and just to touch on what you were talking about Robin not the same but my grandfather passed away so the first the first year of like the pandemic mm-hmm. and like I wasn't able to be there either um yeah. and I mean I wasn't particularly close to my grandfather mm-hmm. but and it, it doesn't like you were, you were close to your dad so it's not the same but I, I I know that feeling you're talking about where you know my family the rest of my family was able to be there because I lived either in in the same city as my grandfather or close enough that they it was safe for them to like it was a short car ride but I'm I'm seven hours away. So there was no way for me to like, normally I take the train where well, you just, you just couldn't, you know, this was like the summer of 2020. Yeah. And I know other people went through it too, where it's so hard when, so when you lost someone during that time, you just, um, you couldn't be there. And it's, it was, yeah. it was just, it was so, it was so hard. I don't like my friends and I were all saying that like, like I get now why people who went through the first and second world war um, or went through, you know, those kinds of conflicts, you know, like they don't want to see certain things. They can't watch certain things. They can't, or even the good person, like there's certain things that people went through. They don't want to see it. They don't want to talk about it. They can't. And I'm like, I get it now. Cause I don't want to see anything about the pandemic ever again. Like I can't, you know what I mean? Like it's so hard to, to watch or engage with certain things or even just really emotional scenes because of of what that experience was like you know mm-hmm. 
Well, I mean, and because of that, I have, I, like, Ashley, I actually really strongly want to, like, re-echo, like, what you said about the choice to kill Hopper and, and then bring him back. Like, I I, I feel very messy about that decision as a whole um, because I was, I mean, I wasn't happy that they killed him for sure, but because of largely, I mean, just in addition to the fact that, like, it, it put a lot on Joyce, but at the same time, I I feel like by the decision to do that did affect everything moving forward and that includes the reunion between Eleven and Hopper at the end of season 4 and I I have I feel messy about that reunion as well because it's I I it, it I I feel like it it's very sweet but that does not resonate with me in the way that like this sequence does the end of season three which i was surprised by that um so but that's a different conversation but yeah the the scene itself is really beautifully done but yeah i tend to skip it yeah so y'all ready to go to uh season four onwards yep, i could ahead, just... way for that before we get into robin's topics which is that i think one of the reasons they both resonate differently is because the end of season three with the latter is a much longer sequence. It's a much more of a character piece. It's much longer. Like we were yeah. talking about with with the Robin and uh, Steve scene from season three versus mm-hmm. the end of season four was very quick. That's like yeah. we skipped two days and then it's like, da, 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 and we're done. So it felt very abrupt and very jarring. So I don't think that ever could have resonated the same way or at the same level. and. As much as I love season four, I think it fell victim to A, the pandemic, which is outside of their control, but B, because of that, they had to cram in so much and so much got left on the cutting room floor and they had to make choices. And there was definitely stuff they could have sped up or cut in order to include more at the the back end of that season and, and at the conclusion. Yeah. And I mean, I think if they were going to redo it now, there's things they definitely do differently. But I know they were just doing the best they could with the circumstances they had, which were admittedly very challenging. So I, I think that's also part of why it, it resonates differently, you know? Yeah, I mean, I think part of it for me is that they the way that they handle it with him showing up, they treat it more like he's just been away. It, it, yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't have the, sh- the like, earth-shattering shock of, I mean, Joyce says it, they buried him. They, they buried him. He, he was and L does not have any they do not indicate throughout because you know when I went when I've gone back and rewatched parts of season four it's like I don't get any indication from it from anything that they're telling us within the text that he that she believes that he's still alive they are treating it like she's grieving him so to have him show up and her just be like I've missed you it it just I don't know it didn't that that feels like almost icky to me but then I've also talked to other people that um have that have also lost their specifically their father and and they said that they totally that that scene totally resonated for them so everybody's different but I just I found for me it and I can totally totally acknowledge that part of that might be the conditions under which my father died that are different from other people so Um, but I've also talked to other to some other people who feel the same way I do so it's just I think it's one of those things where like loss and grief and all that can hit you very differently but yeah, it's it's definitely something that like I think was a, was difficult for them to tackle, and yeah, I th- I do want to echo that I do think they did the best they could. 
Yeah, I agree. And I also think it's, like you say, the way the grief manifests with different people differently. Um, like, I agree. I think Joyce and Elle are very clearly grieving throughout that season. Right. We don't get any indication they think he's still out there. But when she was like, I never gave up hope, I've also talked to people or like I'm into a lot of true crime, that kind of thing on podcasts where people talk about their experiences and that for a lot of people out there, especially if they lose a loved one or a parent very young, they have this thing where like on one level, they know that they're gone. But on the other hand, like there was a story I heard one time where someone's like, yeah, I would drive to the beach or drive to bodies of water and look for them because I could not accept that they were gone, that they go back and forth on that thing that part of their part of their brain just cannot accept the fact this person is gone, that they have to be out there somewhere. So I can also appreciate why people that, that would resonate with people, that duality of like you're grieving the person, you know, they're gone, but also for some people it manifests as then you kind of go back and forth with, I, they got to be out there somewhere. So again, I wish they, they take, we'd had more time to kind of yeah. go through Elle's process on that or see it because I could see if it spoke to that experience that real people do have of on the one hand, you know, they're gone. On the other hand, your brain can't accept it and you hold out hope that they're, they have to be out there somewhere that that duality does exist for people in real life. Um, it would be, it would be interesting to compare screen time or it's compared to another scene that we talked about in this episode of Mike and Elle's reunion because that feels like I think more what I was hoping for like the I mean it's different but that feels like it's not that much more time but like they did establish in season two that Mike absolutely was still holding out hope but because we knew that Elle was still alive but he was just hoping. So it would be interesting to compare the the running time of those two sequences. Yeah, for sure. Because I agree. I think Mike and Al's reunion at the end of season two and then in season four feels like they both feel earned, but it, it has it has greater impact because I think of the time they take and the way those sequences are shot and paced versus I think Hopper and Al's reunion is so quick mm-hmm. at the end. And I think also because like you see him coming to that, I get that it's the it's the shock value a little bit, but like that that ends up just brings us so many questions where it's like, okay, so that means he walked past everybody else. You know what I mean? In order to get into the house. And then they all came back. And then they have the thing. And I, I could see it being a where is she? She's in the house. But still, we missed the shock value of everybody being like what the heck you're back what you were right. supposed to be dead and then because a bunch of these characters are at the the gym and the hospital i hope we're gonna see this i'm hoping the cold open for season five brings us back to those two days or, or brings us right to that moment because as far as everybody else knows hopper is dead and we don't even know if mike knows eddie's dead like we don't see their physical reactions to that and i feel like we should have because that's important they buried this person mm-hmm. anyway <laughs> anyway i know our favorite moments of season four <laughs> right robin do you want to start us off again sure um so i in my list here um i actually ha- i'm gonna actually switch what i had written because the more i think about it the more like so originally i had the running up that hill sequence was my number one choice because like duh but i actually think that 
I think my my probably my favorite moment the more I think about it is actually the welcome to hellfire sequence and really the whole the whole hellfire club game mm-hmm. I just the more I think about it I, I don't think it it's like the same as the beginning D&D game in season one but it it feels like it's it's kind of like picking up from that from the spirit of that and I that to me that sequence with Erica and Eddie like that feels like to me Eddie's like actual introduction as a character I'm not terribly fond of the actual of the scene where we actually meet him for the first time but um I love I love 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 all the Hellfire Club stuff like the the him and Erica facing off is like yeah I think that's probably which is a weird pick I know but I think that's probably my favorite scene of season four which is like I said it's probably not uh, common to say that but um but just the way it's intercut with the basketball game i just again i love that we love after, that the editing yeah, and the mm-hmm. way it cuts back and forth and yeah and it's the sinclair um, siblings like i just i love yeah. it it's so great and the music choice there mm-hmm. um yeah it was so great yeah and i um i think too be precisely because season three kind of decided to take a different approach to D&D. It was nice to see them kind of come back to this this sense of no, we like D&D. We're going to treat it with dignity. We're going to treat it with integrity. So, I really really like that and I just I thought honestly, I thought Priya Ferguson had great chemistry with Joseph Quinn. Like they they were a really yeah. interesting pair and I'm like I would have liked to have seen more of the two of them. Um and then um yeah, like it because season four is still so new, it was harder for me to 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 pick some. So, I mean, honestly, I'm I'm kind of gonna go for the the low hanging fruit, like Eddie playing Metallica, and then the while it's a little shorter, I do really like the the piggyback from a pizza dough freezer moment. But I love kind of, that. I yeah. love that her delivery, which for Max is like, she's thinking like, did she? Are you real? Like, did she imagine her from what Mike had told her? And she's like, I piggyback from a pizza dough freezer. <laughs> Max is like. Mm-hmm. That was also the moment when she knew that L was real. Yeah, that's <laughs> like, oh yeah, that's eleven, all right. Yeah. It's yeah. like nope, and they said it completely straight. Like people commented how when they released that part of the script online, mm. that um, L's original delivery was supposed to be in- indicating how weird that is. But I love that Millie Bobby Brown was like, L doesn't know this is weird. She doesn't know anything's weird unless you tell her. Right. So like she played it completely straight. Like I piggyback from a pizza dough freezer. Mm-hmm. Like that's a normal thing to say. And Max is like, what? <laughs> right um actually though i mean i will also extend that to l's whole like so you know sort of surprise attack when she shows up in that space um i really do like that that whole sequence a lot and then um i really and then like kind of the the last one i have listed here is is um the 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 conversation not for the reason that some people do but i really like the the conversation between steve and eddie in the upside down i mean i really the truth is i i mean not i i don't want to get into the, sh- the shipping conversation but i i kind of like a lot of the stuff that happens in the upside down between that group of characters um i mean the stuff between steve and nancy i'm still very conflicted about where i stand in their relationship but it's handled so beautifully i mean you know ashley and i talked about that when we talked about those episodes um but i like that conversation between steve and eddie purely because I like the that it it's a it's actually like a sort of uh like a stowaway Stephen Dustin thing because I like the line about um kid worships you dude like I just that yeah. made me feel really really like that's just it made me so happy like and so yeah I I like that scene a lot 
I love how authentic it is too. Like we were doing a series comparing the script to the final version, mm-hmm. and that like they took that they took over scripted and made it more colloquial, made it more like something a teenager would actually say. And mm-hmm. so I love that it feels like it's very much a combination between two dudes who they have such mutual respect for each other, but they don't really know how to express that because they speak such different languages. So like Eddie tries and Steve has no idea what he's talking about, but then they find common ground over Dustin. And then that morphs into like, hey, I appreciate you saving, you know, like saving my life. I appreciate you saving my life. Here's a thing that could help you out with your relationship. You know, like I, I love that. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So, I mean, yeah, it's it's just a great little moment in, you know, again, it's another like, it's a very action-packed sequence, um, you know, those those moments. But I I like that we have this little, like, quiet moment to take a breath. So, you know, that's my list for season four. I, I know that I have, there are going to be more scenes that continue to mean more and more and more. But um, because it's still so new, it was it was harder to, to like, actually pick individual sequences. I'll, yeah. I'll throw on, I really, I, I will, I will add just spur of the moment here i will i will say that i also re, you know i'm i'm not a big fan of the russia arc either but i i actually really do like hopper's monologue as well to love that scene to enzo i i i do really like that yeah me too and i i like that one particularly like it's really hard to watch but mm-hmm. having watched like the tiktok um like live that they did for, like the premiere where they interviewed all the actors mm-hmm. where David Harbour said that he's really excited for everyone to see the show because he'd sat with this one particular like speech, this one particular monologue for three years. It's really hard to watch, but I thought that was so well done and delivered. And oh, like, I just, and they said they were, we were going to learn more about his past and I'd kind of forgotten about that until that moment. And I was like, oh man, this mm-hmm. explains so much. Like, again, like his characterization, I agree, seems off in season three, but once you learn that, you're like, yeah, this is an extreme overreaction, but it's an extreme overreaction for something very real that happened. Like something I really love that the series does is sometimes things seem like a massive overreaction, but then you learn stuff and you're like, not the right reaction to have, but I see why you did that if this very real thing happened to you. You know, and I like that they treat that with the respect it deserves. It's not characters have extreme overreactions and they never explain why. It's they have an overreaction and you're like, oh, because this very real horrific thing happened to you and that's causing you to have this bizarre out of place reaction during a time of peace that otherwise makes zero sense. So I, I really did love that they explored that more and, and came back to it. So uh, for for my favorite scenes from season four, it's a lot of it, a lot of them are um, similar to Robin's. I, li- I really like the uh, the D and D game in episode one, um, the way they intercut that with the the basketball game, and also because there's so much foreshadowing in the D and D game, and the fact that they're playing, you know, literally with Fekna, and uh, they roll an eleven, and it's uh it's a miss, and and all that. And I'm I'm not saying that Eddie is Kaz, by the way, because he's not. I thought it was. Pretty obvious, just from the D and D game alone, that eleven, 11 would be Kaz. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> like, and, and and I'm not even gonna get started on that because I could, you know, rant about that for yeah. many many minutes um, about how some people really choose to believe that Eddie's Kaz 
he's not. But anyway, uh, I really like that. Also, I like the running up that hill moment uh, in uh, episode one uh, between when it uh, transitions from Eleven to Max. Um, Me I, too. Like, I love yeah. the transitions you know, in season. It's probably actually my favorite season, uh, favorite scene from season four because of the you know the way they did it and I wasn't expecting that to happen and it's just um I just love it so much and it it also ties into what Eleven said at the beginning of the episode in her letter to Mike of like how funny time can be like when things are going wrong it seems like time slows down and when they're fun and things are going great time you know speeds up and all that so I thought that was you know really good for them to literally have time sort of slow down in that moment for both Eleven and Max and also because it kind of foreshadows you know sort of what's to come for them um later on in the season um obviously the the other run up the hill moment and from episode four is really good um I like the scene when Eleven gets her powers back um, and then I liked all of the Vecna mindscape scenes just because, you know, the, it's a wholly different, you know, place than we've ever seen before in the show. Um, I really like that. And then I liked um, Vecna's monologue in Chapter 7. Those are probably my chief favorite scenes from Season 4. I mean, there obviously there's more, but those are just the ones that Every time I go back and, and rewatch this season, those are just always ones that, that really hook me every time. Actually, can I add one? I can't believe I forgot this. Yeah, sure, go ahead. Um I can't believe I forgot this. So I'm I I don't know I don't know how it happened, but I will definitely add like very high high on my list of season four favorite scenes, which probably no one believes me since I forgot it, but the when the the throwing like the the throwing of the Molotov cocktails and the Nancy shooting Vecna. Oh, that whole montage, yeah. Because and I'm like, how did I forget that? Because I I've literally been listening to. It's such it's a long because... season, though. I mean, <laughs> yes, it is. It's bad. Yeah, but I've been listening to a cover of the remix of of that of the song that they that they use. It's not the actual one from the show because it's not it's not on Spotify, but. A cover of it so I listen to that that's like on one of my my playlists that I have on repeat right now so yeah because it's that moment and I I love I love that sequence because I mean it was funny because um a couple of my co-hosts that are over that join me on Coffee and Contemplation they have they agreed with me that like when Nancy takes that final shot it's like that's for Barb yeah at least that's how it strikes yeah. us yeah so I love I love it I love that sequence it's so so good and I love yeah the the multi-tiered attack it's just it's great it's a really great sequence. when the light catches her eyes yeah like yeah Harry's combat interviews but the shot you have where it catches mm-hmm. and you see the reflection like it's Sigourney Weaver and Alien it's it's epic it's so great it's yeah great it's really good too and uh, just to add to that um it's too bad that it took place like 10 years before the Scream franchise came out because Nancy could have watched Scream and and learned, hey, you gotta go for the head. So it's it's very unfortunate that she wasn't able to see um, Sydney Prescott uh, put it, throw a TV down on someone's head, you know, and then aim for the head. That's all I saw. He's got an axe right there and everything. I know. 
I know. <laughs> Jasmine, what about you? Um, you guys have already mentioned a bunch of ones, I think, that top everybody's list, the running up that hill sequence, the one, you know, like the one in Max the Mindscape, but also the transition. Um, you guys have mentioned a lot of my favorite moments, so I'm going to do like the D&D basketball game. Um, there's so many good moments. So I'm going to focus on some other ones that I really liked because you guys have, have covered a lot of the ones that I really do love. Just, you know, give us some variety. Um, one of my favorite character scenes in, in all of season four is the scenes that we get early on um, in episode one, or chapter one rather, with Steve and Robin. So the scene of them in the car yeah. where they're talking about his dating life and Vicky and the whole booby sequence. I just, I love their banter. I love, you know, the way it establishes where these characters are at. Like you said, so quickly in a single scene, we, we know exactly where these characters are at. Then the follow-up sequence where um, they're together at family video and they're talking about, you know, how they could just combine and everything would be great. And I just, I love their camaraderie, I love their friendship. Um, and you get, you know, it feels like a real conversation you would have. That kind of thing where your friend's like, no, I don't. Yes, you do. Like that whole, and it felt like a kind of a callback to season three when he was like, no, I'm not in love with Nancy. <laughs> and the whole yeah. thing. And it comes back, like, no, I'm not. No, it's not about Vicky. It's like, uh-huh. But like that thing you have with your friend, like, People have pointed that and said that that's um, like a retcon or inconsistency. I'm like, no, it's not. Have you never been friends with somebody? <laughs> like, you know what I mean? People do that all the time where you're like, no, I don't. And your friend's like, okay, <laughs> already there, bud. Like, happens all the time. So I, I love that. Um, and then as people who listen to Ham Radio will know, I'm a big Steve and Nancy fan. I was not expecting that to make a comeback. But I, and it took me, I will say, it took me until I'd say probably like three quarters of the way through the season to be like, oh, that's where we're going. Okay, I'm into this. Because when they were first talking about, you know, Dustin was making comments and stuff, I was like, he's not in there. Like, what? Like, no. And then we got to the part at where with the Democrats and the Skull Rock, and I was like, oh, oh, we're going here. Oh, okay. Yep. Yeah, now I'm into it. Okay. Okay. Um, so I love the scene at, um, I love the, the scene with the Democrats. Then, you know, Steve is absolutely like, he's so hot in that scene. It's so great. It's such a wonderful sequence. And then the whole thing at Skull Rock, like the chemistry is off the charts. I also love the dynamics between the characters where Eddie goes from being this very like cocky, confident guy when they're like, oh yeah, by the way, if you step on the vines, it's a hive mind. A what? You're stepping on Vecna and he's like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. Um, I love how Steve and Nancy kind of, you know, you see them kind of for the moment and they really team up and they're they're very much a, a solid team throughout the rest of the season. I really, and they're like on the same, you can tell the first time they're, since Barb disappeared and died, they're on the same page. They're working as a team really well. I love that. I love that they leaned into, because I wasn't, some of that wasn't in the original script. I love that they leaned into that because I think, uh, Joe Curry and Ty Dyer have really fantastic chemistry and they work really well off each other as actors. They really so I love, do. Yeah, so I love yeah. that they they played off of that and they, and again, that's a great example of when you read the script for that episode with the Massacre at Hawkins Lab, you, like all four characters, Steve, Nancy, Robin, Eddie, in the original version kind of play off each other more. And I like that that got changed because 
that dynamic I don't think would have worked in the end. The fact that Steve and Nancy, they've both two characters who have experienced this kind of thing before, and they're both leaders. They both take charge personalities, work really well as a team. But Robin and Eddie, like Eddie has no idea what the hell's going on. And Robin is freaked out. She's nervous. She's clumsy. Like she's not, neither of them are, they're not in, in, in a place to do that. And so to me, that dynamic, the way it was scripted, I was like, that doesn't work because then you have four people taking equal roles when reality, two people are on a different footing than the other two people. So I love that they clearly saw that when they went to film and adjusted for it because that the dynamic we see on screen makes so much more sense that those characters and work so much better. It also lends itself to more, not only dramatic moments, but more uh, comedy moments, like comedy moments that land better. I love so. That. Yeah. Love the, speaking of comedy moments, I do. I do love the like once the ground shakes and then Eddie's. Yeah. So guns seem like a pretty good idea to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> love that. Yeah, that's. I great. absolutely love that. Um, and I love the scenes at the Creel House. Those are super interesting. And speaking of comedy, like I, a soft moment I love is when um Nancy's getting the cobwebs out of Steve's hair. And he gets all flustered, he's tripping over his words, and he's like, Sherlock Holmes. And she's like, What? <laughs> Robin is also like, They're talking about I... the babies, and they're like, What is wrong with you? <laughs> this girl's I... got issues. Uh, I struggle, I really struggle with that scene because I, I really, really re- struggle with like secondhand embarrassment. And I just was like, The first time watching it with a big group mm-hmm. of friends, I was like, I can't, I can't, I can't. I can't. Yeah. So I don't think I've actually watched that scene all the way through because I'm just like, nope, I can't handle it. I can't handle the embarrassment. Nope. No. I also love, like, again, common moments when he's like, don't go in there. <laughs> like, she's yeah. so confused and like, mm-hmm. oh, I, I love those scenes. And I love the whole, like, follow through plot of Robin being like, platonic with a capital P. <laughs> Yeah. like a little hand motion like a little sing-song voice I just I just love that and I love that we see Steve I, I like like with the bathroom scene I love that we see Steve kind of have those moments where he kind of trips over himself where he's about to say something and he's like oh shoot because that feels very genuine to me especially during this time period where um I think we all have moments where we go to say something and we're like oh shoot that's not public information <laughs> shoot so I love that they show Steve doing that because that feels very natural and real to me, where you know you're you're going to say something, and you're like, oh man, hang on a second, and him kind of struggled to try to explain why he's not dating Robin because he realizes, oh no, I'm giving the impression that like I'm you know I'm being vain or something, and I don't think she's pretty or smart, like that I don't think she's good enough, and then he's like, no, I got a course corrected, but I don't want people to think I'm dating her. Like I love that kind of follow through. I love that in the queer loss, and then like the fact they follow through with that. I just I love it. That felt very genuine to me. So I really love that. Um, and some other things I really love is I'm a big Dropper fan. So their reunion where they meet up at the prison and he he can't quite believe that she's really there. And then the script they were originally supposed to embrace, but that got changed because he's like, yeah, I don't think she he believes she's really here. And the fact that Enzo was behind them and he like he looks like he's praying. I I love that sequence. And then of course, the church scene, like as a as a big dropper fan, I was like, yes, finally. Um, never thought we'd get there. Super loved that. Um, and then we talked about Alan Hopper's reunion, but that is a scene I, I really do, as short as it was, I really do love. 
from season four. And I have to say my favorite plots this season were the Hawkins plot generally, but specifically the scenes that take place at the Creel house and at family video, not just with Robin and Steve, but also with Dustin and Max as well. Awesome. So now that we've given you our favorite scenes from the show, we're going to turn switch gears and give you our least favorite moments of the show, which I'll tell you, there's actually fewer, I actually have fewer of these, believe it or not, than um, favorite scenes. So Robin, would you like to start us off this last category? Sure. Um, so I, I'm probably going to get controversial with this, but um, so my, my least favorite scene with a bullet, it's the scene that for me, it's the, it's probably the lowest point in the entire series for me. And it's, it was the scene that occurred that I seriously considered walking away from the show in its entirety. And so that's, that is, that is the conversation, the fight between Mike and Will in, in chapter three, the case, of the missing lifeguard. Um, I go on extensively about that in, in my podcast, but what I'll say here is that for me, that is a scene that is actively harmful beyond the confines of the show. Um, <laughs> so I actually, I am a queer person. I am a romantic asexual, so I'm Arrowace. What that means is that I don't experience attraction, um, either intimate attraction or romantic attraction. I, it's very rare for me. So not knowing that that's what I was for most of my life, there's a lot about Will's experience that while I'm I'm not I'm not gay, I do identify in a lot of ways with what Will goes through. I have been in Will's position in that moment. I have had people say things like that to me. Thankfully, never somebody I'm as close to in you know in terms of like never a best friend. <laughs> so certainly never a family member, but a lot like from coworkers and from not super close friends on and off throughout my whole life. And what that ends up equating to is there is something wrong with you. And I can guarantee you that that is something that a lot of people in like fairly, like I feel like that's a fairly common queer experience. So being in that position and watching the way that scene plays out, for me, that scene is very harmful because it's insidiously portraying it that Mike is right, that we are supposed to side with Mike in addition to the fact that that scene plays out and he never apologizes to Will on screen. He never says there's nothing wrong with you. There's no version of that in the show that follows that scene. The closest we get is Mike shouting it, at, you know, through the buyer's door, but Will's not there. So as far as we know, those words have never been said to Will and from Mike. And the way that their relationship plays out after that we just kind of forget that that happened. And to me, that's the part that makes that seem harmful because that is the kind of insidious thing that you see a lot. And I don't understand how that scene can live in the series while you have all of the really wonderful representation with Robin. I, I just, they feel so at odds with each other. And like I said, when we recorded the episode, you know, it, it it feels like because at the time we had not that was before they had confirmed canonically that will that will was gay that was way before noah schnapp had come out 
So it was all still a lot of like, well, you know, it was a lot of it was a lot of gray area. So I don't know if that was all way too personal, but I mean, as far as like least favorite moments, that's that's the one that was the one that actually hurt me in my day to day life, because I know that that scene gives a certain sense of permission for people to treat queer people in the way that they do. And it doesn't seem as harmful as like some other things, but it's like that's the kind of thing that like moments like that live with you for the rest of your life. And I guarantee you that, you know, if if we were talking about a real experience, that scene would that interchange would stay with Will for the rest of his life. So it I I just that that one really hurts. Um aside from that one, <laughs> um I just I don't I tend to not like the deaths. Um the only one that you know the ones the ones that feel the most the most hurtful are are Bob are Bob Eddie and Barb. I don't like I don't I don't particularly care for Billy's death in the sense that it 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 felt a little bit like a waste. I think they all feel like wastes, but um I don't think that there's mostly those are just the fact that I just don't enjoy them. I just don't enjoy watching them. And then we talked about Hopper's letter. And how I just I skip that, but um, the only other it's kind of actually more of a plot line, kind of like kind of what you were getting at, Jasmine. Like the the whole photos in the woods thing in season one, I I really have yeah. to just kind of pretend that that just doesn't happen the way that it does because it doesn't make sense. <laughs> it just doesn't make sense. The I mean I you know I've broken it down multiple times in multiple places, but the fact that like. He would have had to have sat there doing absolutely nothing for a really long stretch of time to make that sequence work. It just doesn't make sense. And I mean, and and then follow the follow up in in the parking lot. The way that that scene is framed to make Jonathan look like he's being bullied, and to make Steve look like a jerk, and that just the way that a lot of that's handled just continues to not sit terribly terribly well, especially considering where those characters grow and, and go, go and evolve <laughs> after that. So yeah, but least favorite moments. Sorry to get kind of heavy with that, but yeah. And then we're talking about least favorite things. I mean, it's gonna, I think by its nature, get heavy. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Um, I, that's, I hadn't, I hadn't thought about that scene with Will in a while. So I, I totally hear what you're saying there. I mean, I'm not a queer person myself, but most of my friends are queer, so I totally get where you're coming from there. That like, yes, sometimes creators when they create them something, they're trying to reflect a real experience, but sometimes by including that, that can cause harm in the real world. So I, I totally get what you're saying there, and I think because we don't, because of the way Mike and and Rose relationship plays out in season four, not only do we not get it addressed, but it's you're like you walk into the season being like, God damn it, Mike. So mm-hmm. I'm. I'm really hoping we're going to come back to that season five, but even so, like I've seen a lot of people make the comment that um, for for Noah Schnapp, I'd love to hear if he's comfortable. I'd love to hear him talk about this when the show wraps. I'd love to hear him talk about this, his own experience. Because I mean, I think we we all have our own experience of what we're watching, but I've heard a lot of people talk about the fact that, you know, like that kid showed up to work every day and we don't know how, it's different for everybody, right? Like we don't know how old he was when he realized that he was gay. Right. Yeah. So we don't know how far back that went. Some people know their whole lives. Some people, you know what I mean? Like it, it's different for everybody, but the fact that he showed up to, to set every day and dealt with that. And of course, 
None of that was intentional. Had they known, I'm sure they would have done that differently. You would never want to inflict that on an actor. And that, but, but, but right there, that's, that's kind of the problem is like, it's like, but there are, this is going to reach actual queer people. Now it's Mm. very possible. I mean, to, to kind of, you know, kind of cover all my bases here, it's entirely possible that for, you know, I don't, I certainly do not speak for the entire queer community. And there may be lots of people that, that read that scene and say, that is absolutely accurate. I love that scene. That scene does not hurt me in the way that it, that it does you know that it that it that it does for me speaking so i can't i can't say that that's like a ubiquitous thing but it yeah i agree i would absolutely love to hear yeah what was it like to to film that scene multiple times for all of the takes that you needed for all of the coverage like yeah what was that like because for him it might have felt perfectly accurate you know perfectly on point but it's also like that experience could have also ended up being formative for him in a way that he wasn't even fully aware of at the time. So, yeah. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to hear him talk about that if he's comfortable someday. And I'm with you there. I really hope we're going to come back to that because it's just, yeah, I I think there's a line there. And again, it's different for everybody, but between representing something that is real, but also are you causing harm by showing that, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, like I said, um, it's it's the way that it's framed, like, you know, I'm not trying to be a jerk, but you know I'm right. It the the scene is framed that Mike is the one who's 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 right. And part of that is because the context of that moment is actually like, yeah, will they aren't communicating well. And I, I get that that's part of the point. I get that, that that that's kind of what they're trying to play with, but it I, again, I feel like the characterization there is really off. It like I, I, yeah, it, it just the whole construction of the early half of that season. Now, I I will add though that the end of that episode is what got me to stick around because I was I was ready to tap out after that. And then what follows that is the bit between L, Max, and Billy, and then the you know the the ending of that episode is pretty top notch and that's what and then that's followed by the sauna test so that was what got me to stick around but yeah it's just it's a really low point and it's i don't i don't even know if i if i need them to address it it's just kind of like at this point i would be perfectly fine if they just kind of continue to portray mike in a way that feels more like the kid we got to know in seasons 1 and 2 it yeah, just felt I... like season 3 took this hard left turn mm-hmm. and it it kind of hit kind of hit bottom right there for me for me personally um yeah I can I can definitely see that and especially because I don't because they they touch on this not so touch on it but I I think it's very much implied and understood in season four that that Will and Al have a very special bond you know Mm -hmm. and I'm I'm sorry we didn't get to see more of that but I I think we will in season five because you know they're going to be presumably like sharing a bedroom um like we know they're sharing a, a tiny cast cabin but i i think something i'd love to see explored in season five and i kind of go along with that is if l knew the way that mike was treating will she would be very upset i think she would dump his ass because they clearly have a very special bond and i don't think l would like that at all so the fact that they took kind of a hard left turn there is like okay well he's practicing his relationship with l but l obviously doesn't know that the way he's treating Mike is, the way Mike is treating Will is suffering kind of because of that. She would not be happy about that at all. So that's something that also doesn't sit well with me that like, that's his justification. But if Elle knew that, she'd be 
extremely like not okay with that at all. So I, yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that one. And I'm also with you on about the photos, like not does it not make sense, but like, again, the, the fact that he, like Steve is trying to be the bad guy. I mean, the fact that all he did was break his camera and call him on it. I mean, it's pretty tame considering he should have like slashed that guy's tires, gone to the police, press charges. I mean, Steve's not the, it's framed that way, but Steve's not the bad guy there. Jonathan, like as he says to Jonathan, what you did is illegal. Like he's committed several crimes there. And like the fact that we get to season four and then like we see that Jonathan's apparently point of view on that was I got away with multiple crimes. I think I'll commit more crimes against the same people I was already committing crimes against four years ago. Like what? Yeah. And the fact that like that Nancy, they play it like Nancy has to like pretend like she's into it in order to get what she needs for Jonathan to find Barbara she still thinks alive. Like, that's horrible. The fact that she, Jonathan basically, like, faces no consequences and gets rewarded. And now his life is falling apart in season four, but we learn it's all his own damn fault. Like, he's not actually facing consequences. And he's off on this woe is me train. Like, I'm just, what? Like, it's just, like. I, I mean, the only, the only <sighs> sort of, the only sort of brownie point that they, that they get in that storyline for me is that they, Jonathan does does cop to it i mean way too late but he does at least say i shouldn't have done that and he is working up to an apology when nancy interrupts him in the dark room so they yeah very, but he says very, but like, and then he talks about like how basically he did it for the aesthetics but to me i'm like that's not really a real apology to me yeah it's, I'm like, it's not. yeah <laughs> like there's a line i love from from grace Anatomy, but it's like i'm sorry but apologies don't end with the word but like it's yeah. not i'm sorry but it's i'm sorry or that thing where like, oh yeah, I want to apologize. That's not an apology. We're not writing an email. <laughs> like the yeah. phrase is, I'm sorry. Anything That's else true. is not yeah. legitimate, at least to me. <laughs> like yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I 100% agree on that one. I, I think too, I've I've really soured and hardened on that whole plot. I'm on a Discord server that's for like Stancy shippers, and I've learned a lot about like other people's perspectives and people who have experienced sexual assault and how they feel about that plot mm-hmm. and so that's been really eye-opening for me um I, I never really thought that hard about it like obviously I'm like that's messed up but I never thought that hard about it until season four at which point the moments where that moment right at the end there when Nancy gives him an out twice and he chooses to lie and continue intentionally hurting her or when he admits to Argyle that he knows what he's doing is hurting her and he's doing it anyway. I had this moment as a viewer where I'm like, oh my God, it was always an act. Like his whole thing in season one is supposed to be like, he's a socially awkward kid and he doesn't understand that what he's doing is wrong. But like, that was the moment for me where I was like, oh my God, it was always an act. Cause you're making the active choice to hurt these people. You're covering it up. You're lying about it. You don't lie or cover if you actually don't think what you're doing is wrong or you don't know that's not acceptable. Like I had this moment where I was like, oh my God, it was always an act. Cause you don't just randomly get that level of awareness well high four years later. Like I just, yeah, I just had this moment and I was like, oh my God. So that's really changed my perspective and, and hardened me on it, I think. I don't know if I totally agree agree with that i i think if anything that feels more like not a retcon exactly but that that just feels like they kind of i feel like they kind of fumbled the ball with jonathan's character in season four and that that just feels like an inconsistency to me 
but and that doesn't have anything to do with like like I'm not really on either ship necessarily but like I I kind of feel like they did with Jonathan in some ways what they did with Hopper in season three maybe not quite mm-hmm. to the same extent but I mean I I think it's a more generous read certainly to to kind of look at that more like because I I didn't I didn't buy any of the stuff with Jonathan to be frank like I I I kind of but I feel like they they've lost a sense of what they want to do with him but that's that's a bigger conversation but yeah, yeah it doesn't no, it's not I a agree. good look no matter how you look no. at it it's not, not a good one it's not a good look no and I, I agree I think that they I mean lots of people have commented on this but that Jonathan was supposed to be kind of I think was originally planned to be kind of the heartthrob out of the teens him and Nancy were supposed to have the storyline and the minute Joe Keery was cast as Steve and I realized how much more nuance he could bring to that role Jonathan yeah. basically lost his purpose as a character and they never really got it back so it's just kind of steadily declined because I don't think they know what to do with him. Um, that's part of a bigger conversation, but um, yeah. I agree with you on that point for sure. Yeah. Um, but getting back to season four, um, or I guess just our least favorite, not getting back to season four, what am I saying? Uh, our least favorite scene such moments. The other thing about season one that doesn't work for me is the bullies at the quarry. And I, I've said this from the beginning, but the bullies in... The show don't feel realistic to me. Um, their behavior, the stakes, the fact that they pulled that and then that one kid is so dumb and has the audacity to go to his mom instead of like making up some lie about how he fell. He's the like he tells them that she takes him down from the station. The fact that they literally like like they almost like if Elle hadn't been there and she didn't have superpowers, they would have died. And those kids would have gone down for murder. Like that just did not even at the time, just didn't feel realistic to me. And it still doesn't, like, I get that's a great moment for Mike, but I'm like, and Eleven gets a show off her powers, but it didn't feel realistic to me. And I know that that is a personal reason, the fact, like, the bullying I experienced growing up was much more of the subtle, exclusionary, or, you know what I mean? Like, it was more subtle. Mm-hmm. I've personally never witnessed the kind of bullying you see on tv i know other people have had that experience i'm not trying to validate that at all it just for me that uh, bullying has always been more nefarious and insidious than mm-hmm. this outright type of violence you tend to see and i get that it's easier to portray that and, and show it physically than it is to show because it takes a lot of time to show the kind of innocuous stuff but that to me just never worked um and i have the same issue with the Angela and the boys in season four again that didn't feel realistic to me that did, like their behavior I'm like I can buy the demogorgon I can't buy these 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 bullies at school um so I've, I felt that way the whole time um and then for season two the whole conversation at Murray's where Jonathan and Nancy wind up there like I, I didn't have a super big problem about it the first time through but again like having rewatched and, and talked to other people about it, like looking back on it, it does kind of give me the ick just because like, well, I don't think we're trying to cause any harm. This is like a middle-aged guy who lives in a bunker encouraging two teenagers to get drunk and have sex at his place. Like it just does not, on rewatch, it just doesn't sit particularly well with me. It kind of gives me the ick. Um, yeah, it's skewing the characters a little older than they're actually supposed to be yeah and like the whole i think this is again after the way jonathan used before it really made me as a viewer re-examine his behavior in past seasons and i know for a lot of people i've spoken to 
who like unprovoked have said that to me. Um, and that it really put his the rest of his behavior in, in a new light. And it made me realize I'm like, well, throughout the season, even when Nancy isn't making like the most moral decision or what you would think of as the right decision, maybe you at least see where she's coming from. Cause this is someone who is grieving the loss of her best friend and she can't talk to anybody about it. She doesn't feel like she can talk to Steve. She can't tell anybody else. She has to pretend like Barb Seltzer somewhere. So it's clearly eating away at her. So it's like, even when she doesn't make the right call, you see it's coming from a place of grief. But I realized that Jonathan, we don't really get his perspective. We don't get his justification for the whole camera incident. We don't really get and then look into his mind as to why he thinks it's okay to cheat with somebody else's girlfriend and then ignore that person for the rest of the semester and continue to be a dick anytime that guy's name comes up. Especially when Steve is so nice towards him. We, like he shows up to apologize, saves his life. Nothing bad to say about the guy. Like... I realize we don't really get his perspective. So I'm like, wow, Jonathan comes off as a real dick once you realize that. Like, he's just out there doing things, doesn't care who he hurts. Like, what the heck? Um, so that, upon reflection, has not sat particularly well with me either. Um, and then he turns around as, again, doesn't support Nancy with the misogyny she's dealing with at work. Like, he just... It forced me to re-examine his behavior, and I was like, wow, he comes off as a real dick here, because like, you don't see, we don't really get Jonathan's perspective. We don't really see where he's coming from. At least I don't. I don't clearly see what his motivations are or his perspective and the way we see Nancy's. So that just doesn't sit particularly well with me anymore. Um, and then in season two, something I didn't like particularly about that season, even though I I do love this as a whole is the fact that Mike is a dick to Max the whole time, even though like we obviously he's missing L, but like he's just a jerk for her for really no reason. So I'm like, well, that's like that's not super great. Um, and then we've talked about this a lot, but the in season three, the Russia plot, like the Russians just their behavior just doesn't make any sense. Like they're smart enough to build an underground lab under the mall, but so dumb that they think kids in little sailor costumes are spies and not just employees of the ice cream parlor that stumbled into the lab they literally built under the mall. They're convinced they're working for somebody, even under Trucer. Like, their behavior just doesn't make any sense. It it just doesn't make any sense at all. It's very um, cartoonish. Yeah. yeah, it's very, and it's I did not, I was not into that at all. So, like, again, I like the dynamics of the other characters around that plot, but that plot itself, I'm like, Really? Like, use your, like, it'd be one thing if they were dressed in other clothing, maybe, but, like, they're very clearly in their work uniforms. <laughs> these are children. Like, the, and Dustin and Erica are quite young. Like, like these are children. Like, what? Um, and then we've talked about this, but Hopper's behavior is really out there and in, in season three, which I didn't love. Like, there were moments I liked, but the fact that he's freaking out because Ellen... Mike are making out in her room, which is pretty normal for that age. I mean, he goes to Joyce for advice and she's outright like, well, if it's not going beyond kissing, I don't think there's an issue here. He ignores her advice. The fact that he like makes Mike think that his grandmother is sick and locks him in the car and then like screams at him. And again, all this guy is doing is making out with his girlfriend and being kind of cocky about it. Like he's not committing war crimes. Like I that doesn't, and that's something else I think you see this as far back as season one, but there are definitely times where characters, especially Mike and Nancy, where they're just like making out 
he's just making out with his girlfriend and Nancy's just making out and having sex with her boyfriend. Totally normal things to be doing. And other characters act like they're committing felony war crimes. Like, I know it's not a thing, but like they act like they're committing some sort of massive crime. And I'm like, but they're not. That's weird. Um, so that's never set particularly well with me. And then my final point would just be for season four that I feel like in addition to the Angela and the bullies plot being unrealistic, the California plot really drags. There are moments about it I love, and the rest of the time they're just riding around in the band. And I'm like, you could have cut half of this and then made the end of it longer. Similarly, yeah. you could have condensed the Russia plot. But I didn't really like the Russia plot. You could have condensed that and given us those two days at the end or a longer set of reunion scenes, a realization scenes at the end. So, yeah, those are. I was going to say my least kind of favorite scenes and moments and plots from throughout the show. Ashley, what were some of yours? Yeah, so, uh, you know, surprisingly, I only have, like, two least favorite scenes in the entire series because, you know, these two scenes are just moments that really make me cringe. And, and rarely does that ever really happen in this show that I go, wow, that was... And, and from a writing perspective or a production perspective, I just go, I wish they hadn't have done it in that way. And uh, <clears throat> both of these scenes come from season four uh, from the same character, and that is Will Byers. And it's not any scenes that you're probably thinking of, but um, one is, um, I believe it's in episode five when Mike and Will and Dust, uh, Jonathan and Argyle are, you know, in the back of the van with the, the map and they're, you know, need to go find a computer hacker and the only one they know lives in Utah. And um, Argyle's like, what are you talking about? And, uh, you know, Will's like, you know, and then he starts singing the never ending story song. And I'm like, cringe. I'm just, every time I rewatch, I hate it. Because I'm like, no, no one asked you to sing. Please don't, please don't sing it like that. It's, uh, you know, I, I don't like that whatsoever. I mean, I know it's supposed to be like comedic relief, but like you, you dude, you don't have to sing it. Like we already, we already know, you know, what the song is. Like, please, please don't sing that. And then the, the second one comes uh, towards the end of, of episode eight. Um, when Eleven, you know, finally gets back in the van and, and she's like, um, you know, she tells Mike, you know, we need to get to Hawkins now. And then she says, you know, they're in danger. They're in trouble. And, and Will, bless his little heart, says, who, Eleven, who's in danger? And I, and I, I really hope that was improv and not written in the script because, if it was like that's with why why will it be one thing if if she hadn't just said we need to get back to Hawkins like well who else would she be talking about and you you guys already know that something bad's going on in Hawkins because just a few episodes ago the agents the federal agents showed up to your house and told you that. And I, I absolutely hate that moment because it, in that moment, because it's such a dramatic thing, all you really need Will to do is just be quiet like everybody else and just have that dramatic pause and then 
cut to um, the Hawkins crew in the RV rolling up to the Krill house. And those are probably my my least favorite scenes just because of the way they're shot. It's funny. I don't even remember the, him, him singing the never-ending story. Oh, I'm lucky like you. <laughs> lucky I, I you. I like that moment, actually. <laughs> I actually like the never-ending story. I don't actually remember the, the, the scene you're talking about where she's like, they're in danger. I actually don't remember that one. I, I believe you. No, but it didn't stand out for us to like. Yeah. I thought you were going to say you didn't like the, the, the scene with the painting, and I was going to be like, I actually do like that scene. Oh, I it's like a, it too. Yeah, it's messy, it's complicated, but ultimately, I like that scene a lot, so, yeah, I don't Me remember too. either Me too. of those scenes. Yeah, that's funny. But, yeesh. Well, I guess I'll I'll experience them on the on the rewatch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeesh, let us know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, will do. So uh, before we end today's episode, Robin, would you like to tell uh, everyone where they can follow you on social media and where they can listen to both of your uh, podcasts? Absolutely. So the both both of the podcasts are they're hosted by Anchor, so we're available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, most podcatchers, and our socials. Coffee and Contemplation is Coffee in Hawkins on TikTok. And coffee and contemplation pod on Instagram. I know it's long. And then classified, uh, we are just classified podcast on TikTok and Instagram. And while I while I have the opportunity, I'm actually going to go ahead and throw out a uh, a shout out for Starwipe Films, which is probably really arbitrary, but um, that's something that I it's the the filmmaking team that I'm a part of, and we are Starwipe Films on YouTube, TikTok, and Instagram, and we. We make movies every year. We make short films every year, and that's something that I've also been up to in the in the interim, uh, since since like we've been on the hiatus for the podcast. So, um, like we made, uh, you know, we have this whole backlog of short films on YouTube, and that's uh, they're they're like six minutes or less. So it's it's a lot, um, and we do because we do film races every year, which is make a movie in seventy two or forty eight hours, and uh, most of them are sci fi or fantasy in some capacity, um. And then something that I'm up to on a regular basis over there is we also do a filmmaking video series on film races, which is I edit those, but I'm also I also appear in them from time to time. And it's just a little bit of like a how to approach filmmaking from specifically within the confines of a film race and a, a film challenge where it's you get your criteria, you write the script, you make you shoot the movie, you edit the movie and turn it in in like one weekend. Um and it's a great little, like, for anybody who might be listening who's interested in maybe trying to get into filmmaking, it's a really great way to try things out and to get started um, with just a small team of people um, that you can usually get to join you for without having to pay them. And by the end of the weekend, you know, you have a movie or you're well on your way to it. So, so yeah, wanted to just take the opportunity to shout that out, Starwipe Films. And uh, we'll be making another film this fall, probably. So, yeah. That's, that's, so that's awesome. where I'm at most of the time. Yeah, that's cool. I have to say too, I'm a huge fan of the coffee and contemplation, um, like the audiograms you guys do on TikTok. Oh, thank you. you know, on Instagram as well. Like they are my favorite thing. Every time they pop up my feed, I'm so happy. They oh, are my <laughs> favorite, favorite, favorite thing. Um, for those of you listening out there, if you're on TikTok or Instagram, like please follow them. They're just they brighten up my day. I really, really, really love them. They're really well done. And uh, I'm I'm hugely into TikTok right now, so those are just 
they're just some of my favorite things. So for all you listeners out there, um, please enjoy. Thank you. That means a lot. <laughs> yep. And, uh, you know, yep. You just definitely give um, uh, Coffee and Contemplation and Classified uh, follow so you'll know when they got they have new episodes coming up. I always look, you know, it's always a joy for me when um, I get a little notification from Spotify that Coffee and Contemplation uh, has put out a new episode because I'm like, yes, in-depth analysis. Yay. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> seriously, yeah, they, like um, uh, Jasmine mentioned, uh, their audiograms are su- super awesome. They also put them out there on uh, Instagram as well. And uh, yeah, it's always always a joy to have Robin on the show. Hopefully you'll, you'll be back uh, for more like when we when season five uh, comes out. Certainly we'd um, love to have you or any time in the interim if you ever want to come on we'd love to uh, love to have you yeah absolutely and I it really is it, it was so great to come back like it's been it's been a long time since you know I mean I'm gearing up to do the recap episodes but uh, I haven't had the chance to just sit down and chat stranger things in a really long time so this was awesome thank you so much for having me anytime and that's our show if you like what you heard today be sure to subscribe and tell your friends our theme music is provided by Neon Knights and our sound editing is provided by Ashton Cooper Thank you for listening to this episode of Ham Radio, a Stranger Things podcast. Please join us next time. Same dial, same time. Over and out.